0: Hi everyone! Welcome to Extra Help with Inside Schools. I'm Tom Liam Lynch. One of the hallmarks of the de Blasio administration has been to focus teachers' and school leaders' attention on what they call culturally responsive sustaining education. Sometimes, it's referred to as CRSC, or Culturally Responsive Teaching, or CRT. At its heart, Culturally responsive teaching is about teachers better understanding students' identities, cultures, and histories as a core asset in their development and in the improvement of society more broadly. It's an approach to teaching and learning built on empathy, relationships, trust, creativity, and criticality. For some time now, the city has implemented a professional development plan around CRSE, with workshops offered across the city. Things were moving. And then, COVID-19. And then, remote learning. Now what? I wanted to better understand what happens to culturally responsive teaching when the largest school district in the country goes entirely online. Especially as it seems increasingly likely that some version of blended or remote learning will be necessary in the fall as well. So I reached out to Dr. Goldie Mohammed, who led many of the workshops for the New York City teachers and leaders. Hi, Goldie. Hi, Tom. Goldie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. I am an associate professor of language and literacy at Georgia State University. I also uh, am, serve as the director of the Urban Literacy Collaborative and Clinic, which is on campus at GSU. In addition to that, I have served as a classroom teacher, a middle school teacher, a literacy coach, and a school district administrator over curriculum and instruction as well as a few years ago a school board president Um, and i i work with teachers around the country and as well as superintendents and other school leaders on you know best practices in education particularly when it comes to culturally and what i call historically responsive education and um I also work with teachers and leaders in South Africa as well. And I just try to work to um to instill a sense of change and uh and re envision what schools can look like. Um and help everyone to see a different way when it comes to what we need in our schools today and what changes needed. And oftentimes what we need is, is to go back and look at history, particularly Black historical excellence. And so I look at Black historical excellence as a model and framework for moving forward in education today.
0: Thank you for that background. And just to give listeners a little background, um, several months ago when I was working at a school here in the city, a principal um, that I was working with started raving about a workshop that she had been to. And when I asked her who ran the workshop around culturally responsive sustaining education, which is CRSC, which is how the city refers to um, some of the work they've been doing um, in recent years. Um, she said Goldie uh, Muhammad was the one who was leading the workshop and I got really excited um, to hear that and so when I reached out Goldie were really uh, kind enough to offer um, some insights and some time um, one of the things that I've been most curious about is we're looking at the way the school year in New York City is starting to end and as we're kind of reading tea leaves in terms of looking at what September and the fall and beyond might hold is like we're I'm um, we're especially interested in like what's happening with remote learning and what are the some of the ways in which this unfolds moving forward um and there's been multiple predictions at this point that when it comes to the fall it'll either be an alternative model of some sort days on days off or it'll be blended learning models or full-on remote learning models of uh, remote learning models still and so the question that i've that i reached out to you with was like what happens to all of this work around culturally responsive and sustaining education when remote models become a default way or one of the main ways that um, teachers are engaging with students? Like, are there, are there concerns that that raises for you? And are there, are there also some solutions or practices that, that come to mind?
1: Um, Well, there's a couple of different ways of looking at this. Um, I do feel one of my initial worries with everything uh, as it pertains to pedagogy, is, you know, particularly in a place like New York City, we have made such great, um, uh, just great strivings and great progress when it comes to CRSE um, in, across the whole city um, that I haven't seen before um, when compared to other districts I work with along uh, across the country, and so I was a little worried that some of those efforts would be lost because now we have to shift our focus a bit on what is remote learning. That may have been a new term even for families and students and teachers and leaders. And then we had to figure out tools and digital tools, and so um, that that was a, a big concern. And then I I also thought across the idea of. If equity and culturally responsive practices weren't happening before remote learning, um, it was is very likely that it wasn't happening during remote learning. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. People who or teachers who may have just uh, gone to packets and worksheets a lot as their go-to learning mechanism in classrooms probably would go to that during remote learning. And so that problem just uh, sort of transferred over to a new platform of learning. Um, However, on the flip side of that, if teachers were doing equity work, uh, however that looked, because that, that, that can look different ways, um, I have found in my conversations and interactions with teachers across New York City and other places that that work continued. It, it just repurposed itself in different ways. And so, um, you know, I don't, I don't think that all could, can be lost because the real question is, is equity, pra- our equity practices and culturally responsive practices or sustaining practices, whatever we want to name it, is it possible in remote learning? And I wholeheartedly believe that it is. It was possible before <laughs> and it's possible now. Um, it doesn't mean that because we have new challenges uh, that we shouldn't acknowledge that because we certainly have new challenges However, it is possible. We had, we had different challenges in the classroom, in the physical classroom, but it was still possible then. And so that's what I've been working you know, over these last uh, couple months or a few months now to help myself to understand how it's possible and then to help you know, principals and school leaders and teachers understand how it's possible.
0: Thank you for that. Um, I was having a conversation with a teacher recently, I'm sorry, principal recently, who's trying to, who's wrestling with the idea of like what, how to prepare for next year when there's so many unknowns. And one of the things that I've, I found myself saying was like, there's a lot of unknowns, but there aren't a lot of unknowables. Like there's, there's you know, you're gonna have, there's certain limited number of ways this is going to look in terms of uh, students being in school or whether it's a remote model or whatever it might be. Um, And when we were having this conversation, he said, you know, the one he said, but so many of my teachers really prize the relationships they have with students and they, you know, and they really, they need to be, they need to be, they need to see them face to face in order to have that. And, and I remember, I remember very quickly being like, you know, people fall in love online nowadays. (laughs) Like there's, you know, like there's, there's a whole industry around, um, around actually like having technology mediated ways to like meet and get to know and to commune with others. So, you know, I think a, a little bit to your point, like the, the idea that um, culturally responsive and sustaining educational practices require um, physical presence and face-to-face settings, I think is, is an assumption that I think is worth, uh, is, is challenging and rupturing and exploring further. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are, it seems like there, to me, there would be many ways to, um, to, still, to, still, in, to still operationalize and realize those kinds of practices even in a remote setting, are there any examples from the work that you've done where you've, you know, kind of you've seen like subtle moves that a teacher has made or transitions that um, that illustrate that?
1: Yeah, um, and I, I cannot agree with you more. It is possible criticality and social political consciousness has both all, both of those things have developed on an online or digital space. A lot of our young people. Um, they became woke, right, by engaging in social media. And so all those things are, are indeed um, possible. Now, most of the examples that I've seen, um, I've seen the way I think about equity and the way I frame um, culturally and historically responsive education in my book, Cultivating Genius, I, I talk about it in two realms. The first is just like our general approaches. How do we greet our students? How do we open up the class session? You know, do we see, do we do it with love and joy? And do we check in with them to make sure that they're well and uh, they have everything they need? You know, all of that is a part of sort of like this larger framework of equity. And culturally responsive education. The second part is in pedagogy, and uh, so what does it exactly? What can it exactly, you know, look like? I try to be very practical and exact, even for teachers that I work with, because we have equity and CRE has lived in um, theory for too long in like this abstract world. Like I get it, but what does it look like in practice? And so teachers have taken up and continue to take up my equity framework that I write about in the book, which teaches four different standards of learning, um, which include identity, um, which is how does my instruction help students to learn something about themselves or someone else who's different than them, perhaps. The second um, goal is skills, what skills, what content skills or uh, state standards am I teaching. The third is intellect. What are my students becoming smarter about? And the fourth is um, criticality. How is my instruction, my teaching, helping students to understand um, equity, anti-oppression and power, right? And so I've had teachers show me multiple examples of, um, and I I even wrote, I have to send the link um, so you'll have it, but I even wrote an article with a New York City teacher talking about remote learning and using my equity model um, online, essentially. But what's happening is they're taking those four standards and they're creating lesson plans around them. And um, the pacing has changed, right? We know that is going to be a bit of a hindrance when we don't have that face-to-face interaction, like you said, because, I mean, when you're talking about anti-racism and oppression and sexism and homophobia and other things um, that helps to build social political consciousness, I mean, those are um, heavy topics, right? And so it is nice when you can look into somebody's eyes and souls in that moment, but um, what they've been doing, uh, the teachers, as they show me different examples, they've just sort of, like I said, condensed their lessons a bit um, and um, just set learning standards around those four goals. I've also have been creating my model. I call the Hill model because it responds to students' histories, identities, literacies and liberation. Um, I've, I've also created a series of videos, um, with the DOE in New York City called Hill at Home, and it's specifically for remote learning for teachers and homeschooling for parents, but they are 30 minute lessons that are, uh, with the equity model and, um, that teachers can use. And there's even a home or parent extension. So, um, one lesson was on a blueprint and architecture as a math lesson. And for identity, uh, students got to think about the different structures and designs of their own lives. Um, for skills, they got to understand measuring scale and proportion. Um, for intellect, they learned uh, the concept and the, the word of architecture and what that means in different spaces. And um, for criticality, um, we did a bunch of different. Uh, we, we played around with a bunch of standards for criticality, but you know, one is when we think about communities and how they have been structured and designed. Uh, what's there? What's not there? Are their needs met of community members? And so um, that's an example. And then the home connection is where students will measure out their own space in their home and you know actually take a take a measurement of different rooms so that there's some family engagement so that's an ex, that's one example but we are now having you know so many of these examples for remote learning that doesn't have to neglect or leave behind the goals of CRSE or equity
0: Those are some fantastic examples. And I I can't wait to check out some of those resources uh, as I wasn't aware of them. And I think I think there's uh, lots of folks who would who would find them very, very useful. Um, I guess, you know, a, a, a final question for you, Goldie, related to the work you're describing is at this particular moment in New York City schools, we've gone through multiple months now of remote learning, a lot of uncertainties around how grading works, how attendance works, some of those basics. There's a summer school model that's been announced now that'll be, um, I believe will be online. Um, You know, but we're we're also in a city now that is experiencing a lot of of energy and of outrage um, with protests um, and Black Lives Matter uh, marches happening you know in 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 multiple boroughs. Um, where do you see like are, are there insights from the work that you've done that the average teacher in the city could could take and could use with her or his students via a remote model in the coming days or weeks as a way to help young people um, process and try to make sense of, of what this moment in time is and, and what their role is.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I think it has to begin. I mean, there's a lot of entry points to it, but you said the word "unknowns." Um, we have never lived in the in a known. I know, like folks think we have, but if you've ever been an adult, <laughs> every day changes. Things that we've all planned for in our lives have shifted. I guarantee you, every adult has and child um, has experienced that. So we have to start being okay with the unknowns in, in some ways and being flexible enough to adapt to it. At the same time, I think we have to give ourselves, this is a very unique time in history. And we have to give ourselves some grace in it. You know, it's not about still trying to get the pacing guide or the curriculum and this and that. The curriculum is deeply flawed anyway, likely. And so, you know, it's not about pushing the quote-unquote academic and just stepping back and just asking, you know, ourselves how are we taking care of ourselves and ways to take care of children, right? Are our students and our children loved? Are they well? Are they cared for? Um, do they have access to the different um, things that they need in terms of you know pedagogy? Do they have access to technology and digital resources? Um, you know that. And do they have access to the curriculum? Even having curriculum doesn't mean that our students have an entry point of access to it if it was never designed for their lives. So when it comes to um, those things, those things first are a must. And then we have to rethink our standards. I think what is happening in our communities right now is another and more urgent reminder that we need to stop with teaching skills only. Our students need to deeply know themselves. Our students need to know people who are different than them because maybe if students know about truths and histories of people who don't look like them, about black and brown people, they may not be so prone to hate, to oppress. But right now, when we look at the state standards, the Regents' test, the teacher evaluation, the curriculum, It does not explicitly um, embed social political consciousness, cultural competence, identity work. It It is mostly, if not solely, focused on skill development and maybe knowledge. And then what knowledge are we teaching? Whose knowledge are we teaching? From whose perspective? So I'm saying all that to say is that we have to rethink the content and the standards we're teaching. We have to be more purposeful. This is yet another reminder. We did not need this reminder to say the same things, but yet it is here. Um, And we can still find opportunities, right? To make it impossible for students to fail, to not learn. We have to be, um, you know, we talk about the most vulnerable. Sometimes it's the teachers who have limitations that they put on students. You know, they have limitations in understanding the truth and the, the history of this country of protests. And so they are typically those teachers can be reluctant to teach it because they don't know or they don't have a full, complete knowledge of it. And so we have to be very careful with that because that can be very dangerous to not put our own limitations on our students or our own bias or our own racism and things like that. We have to educate ourselves and not be fearful to put certain topics, what people call controversial. For some people call controversial is like daily life for other people. And so we have to start bringing these issues about black lives matter the history of black lives black excellence black joy all these things has been so hidden in our curriculum and folks are saying in these streets right that they are fed up they're not just fed up and sick of being tired and dying but you know all of this can can be explicitly linked to our k-12 education what we're teaching our children and what we're not teaching them. So, you know, all of these things have to, and we don't have to neglect, we can put some things in priority, but we don't have to neglect, um, you know, once we, once we return in the fall, we don't have to neglect skills for criticality, but it, it's, it's got to start with students' identity and learning who they are, who they're not and who they want to be.
0: Goldie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really thank you, appreciate Tom. it. Another thanks to Goldie for sharing her time and insights with us. I'll share links to resources she mentioned in the show notes. That's all for this episode, but our engagement doesn't have to stop here. As always, you can visit us at insideschools.org for independent reviews of city schools and sign up for our weekly newsletter. You'll also find us pretty active on Facebook and Twitter. And you can now leave us a voicemail question via our podcast homepage. Finally, please consider subscribing to our podcast. And if the spirit moves you, leave us feedback. It means a lot. You know what else means a lot? Sharing this episode with a friend or a colleague or someone you think might be interested in learning more about culturally responsive teaching, remote learning. Take a moment if you haven't. There's probably a little share icon on whatever device you're listening to this on right now. Find that little icon. Find that little icon tap it, think of someone, and share. That would mean a lot too. (laughs) All right, until next time, I'm Tom Liam Lynch, and I'll see you online.